Hi, Rachel. How are you? Hi, Ryan. Hi, what was that? I couldn't hear you. As quiet as a church mouse. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Well, you just hurt me with your absolute candor. Oh, I haven't even fucking started with my absolute candor, but trust me, we'll get there. We're the we're Yum Yum Poor or Yum Yum Podcast. This is our show, Yum Yum Trek. I like to emphasize that this time. It's been a little while, it feels like, since I've said Yum Yum Trek to indicate that this is yeah. our Star Trek Discovery-related material podcast. If we ever decide to to start talking about Desperate Housewives, we'd become Desperate Yum Yums or yeah. something like that, or Yum Yum Wives. But for the moment, we're, we're Yum Yum we're, Trek because we're talking about Star Trek, specifically Star Trek Discovery. The, the episodes of Star Trek Discovery to cover are numbered. We are in season three, and season four hasn't aired yet. So we may we may have to... While waiting, cover another show like Desperate Housewives. But hey, who knows? Rachel, we're rewatching Star Trek Discovery. You said it; it's the third season. Uh, so, what episode of the third season are we having to discuss for this one? And is it Yum Yum? I mean, we're jumping the shark already to the very end. Rachel, rating Yum or Yum Yum? Of course, the Yum Yum idea floats from the second season. Uh, season finale line from remember Nan? Remember she was a character in this show? She's gone now and we'll never see her again, but remember her? Because she said yum yum I'll always remember her Yum yum. This week we have the pleasure of discussing a kind of legacy episode. Mmm, a continuation of, of Star Trek you know very dear to our hearts. Yeah. Unification part one and two. From Star Trek Discovery? No. I remember those two episodes of Star Trek Discovery. No, 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 About unifying the Klingon Empire? Uh, 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 no. No, 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 no. Oh, did Ryan. that have to do with the, with, with the Romula uh, Vulcans? Ryan. Yes. Unification 1 and 2 from Star Trek Discovery. Obviously, now this is the third part of the story that was introduced in this show. No. What? Oh, is this some? Oh, is this related to Picard? I mean, I guess that's fair, but... No, it's not related to Picard, the CBS show, but it's related to the character. Oh. And we, we, we see footage from his personal connect collection... His logs. His logs. His video footage logs. So, yeah. (laughs) It's confusing, isn't it? No, 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 no. It's not. Part one and two were not in Discovery. No. They were in previous series of Star Trek. Oh, which one? I believe they were both in The Next Generation. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were in the show from 30-plus years ago, yeah. So what is the plot of Unification 3, according to IMDb? While grappling with the fallout of her recent actions and what her future might hold, Hmm. Burnham agrees to represent the Federation in an intense debate Hmm. about the release of politically sensitive but highly valuable burn data. 
Yep. Unification 3. I remember this episode as being okay. Nothing great, nothing terrible, but definitely another entry in the bland, dull, boring, forgettable category for my viewing experience of Season 3. As I've stated many times, when first viewing this season, I found it to be the most boring season. I found it on equal level of enjoyment in terms of um, captivating my attention as Star Trek Picard, although I think Picard is a worse show. I found both of them uh, tedious and dull. And this episode, I remember the first time not hating it, not loving it, I consumed it, and I moved on with my day, and I never really thought about it again. Hence, a rewatch is very valuable. What did you think of the direction of this episode? Well, I thought it existed. Uh, why? Is there a special person who directed it? Freaks? Well, well something that I found interesting. No. First time director who's been an editor uh. on Discovery mm. so far... When I look at his IMDb credits, it's, it's his only directing credit. <sighs> I don't know who the editors of this show are, so you've completely sidelined me. Well, how dare you? Because he has a Polish-sounding last name, right? I don't know. Who? Uh, John Dudkowski. What did you think of Unification 3 when it first aired? Meh. I was in a f- fairly similar boat as you I was like that's a thing that's happened they pulled a bunch of shit out of their asses and <laughs> spread it across the table and called it apples well it does that, and that indicates we were forced that, to eat it up well that indicates that it was a bad experience you're saying that they pulled stuff out of their ass and it was shit and they smeared it all over and we had to eat it Yet but you... we didn't know that it was shit. Well, that's we indi- didn't know that but... it was made from shit. But it's reconstituted. What... Oh yes, shit. yes, the joke. It's the joke. not. It's not legitimate shit. But is this indicating that this is how, like, a part of what you thought of it today is experiencing of what you're thinking of it now? I mean, back then, because if you thought about it like how I did, which was it was dull and not really anything to sniff your nose at. And now if you're thinking it's shit, is this where, you, where you're kind of mixing the two things no. together? No, it's just that even a dud episode of Star Trek Discovery I usually think is a piece of shit mm. because it doesn't do what I want TV shows that I watch for entertainment and joy to do. But, Rachel, you see, joy... And duty. Duty and joy go hand in hand. Duty is there so you can continue to pursue your happiness. And joy is there so that you have something real to fight for. I think a part of also what makes this episode feel fine when I think back about it in comparison to having just watched it is it was sandwiched in between two yes. terrible episodes of the season that even most diehard fans of Star Trek Discovery have somewhat of an agreed opinion that they were weaker entries in this season. So this one being sandwiched in between two bad episodes made it look great in comparison. And not even great, but just it is fine. How And upon initial viewing, Mm. there was some kind 
of levity brought to it mm. because it was like, oh, they're, they're doing something that's a little bit more Star Trekky. Like it's. It was Pretty the, much I all... remember that from Star Trek, and now they've yeah, incorporated it in, in it the was... Star Trek show. I it, remember it. Yeah. It Reference. Was... Yes. It, but, but the part of the episode that's, like, it's pretty much just all on the ship, and it's about diplomacy and politics. Isn't it cute that we used to... In a little way. Like, that becomes such a tiny sliver of what the story's actually about because it's way more about the melodrama and the emotion and the character's trauma and and experiences and, yeah. I was going to say... Tell the truth! I was going to say it's very cute back in season one. We would scold each other and ourselves for giving the episodes in the show a modicum of respect or a pass because it represented or brought something close to what the franchise and brand is because that should be the baseline. Yep, but we are so three seasons in and we're still clutching at that straw. And then having a kind of a TOS-style episode where uh, we're debating the merits of uh, whether or not to release this data. Rachel, what did you think of the episode having to rewatch it and seeing how it uh, fits into the grander context of the season and just as an episode that you, you come back and give a look at? It felt even more manipulative on the second viewing. How so was it manipulative on the second viewing? Because that's not a word I would necessarily use to describe it, but I'm not saying it isn't an apt one, but it's not one that leaps to my mind. It's because it tries so hard to be like Star Trek and what people think of when they think of Star Trek, Mm. but it's so vacuous and it just feels like it's all of these references. Yeah, that is. But, a, yeah, that's that's definitely it. Because I was going to say, is it wrong that it's trying to emulate and take these things from Star Trek and put it in this episode that is very lore heavy? That's not necessarily something that's purely manipulative, but. One of the things that is, is definitely a lot of that stuff boils down to reference. And that stuff is manipulative. And it can be manipulative in a good way and a bad way. And this is where the debate can come in for this episode. But references are always manipulative of the audience because you're winning them over because it's a reward for you remembering that thing it's referencing. Yeah, and it's relying on the work that is done before in other things. Mm. And that can be done for all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's good and sometimes I like it. But for me, mm. it just feels like they're car referencing things, but they're cardboard cutouts. Yeah. Nothing feels fleshed out. Nothing feels real. It all just feels like this. Here's this footage of Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. An actor that I admire playing a character that I have well and truly come to love. 
Yeah. And him in a moment that is very uniquely powerful Mm. in those episodes. Because I can't remember whether it's from part one or part two. It's from part two. I thought so. It's at the end. Yeah. I thought it was like... When they're in the caves where there would be no recordings, yeah. Yeah. But that's Star Trek. They always pull that trick where it's like these security footages and it's like clips from the previous things, even with the editing and music. Picard had a hidden body cam. Sure, sure. It's fine. It's fine. There's Romulans. They've got cameras everywhere. Whatever. Um, And they're playing it and just seeing his portrayal of Spock in this vulnerable moment Mm. where he's reconciled and dealt with his identity and now is trying to heal the collective consciousness of his species. Yeah. Even you talking about that is bringing up the legwork that those two episodes brought up from over 20 years ago, not the legwork that this episode put in. But Michael cries about it, and Book says, I think I would have liked your brother. Yeah, and of course they would have been best friends, because, you know, they, they would have been buds. Everyone would have been buds with Spock. That's the thing about Spock. He was, he was, he was a buddy-buddy type of guy. Captain, I see no reason to stand here and be insulted. I had a hard time with this episode. To get into some behind-the-scenes, how-the-sausage-is-made type of stuff. Not to get into too specific of details, but we don't often talk about this uh, uh, being a thing that affects us, but we do try to watch these episodes with a positive attitude in mind when we sit down to watch them. We will occasionally delay recordings and discussions because we're tired, because we're cranky, because we're really not in the mood to watch an episode of Discovery, whatever it is. And those are important things because we do want to give the episodes our full attention and our full uh, camaraderie in a way. We want to be on the side of the episode, even though we sit here and we critique it and we say harsh things about it. We always want to do that. This one was a particularly hard one for us because we were going to have a fellow Star Trek podcast come on for the guest of this episode because this was their favorite episode and we were both really keen on understanding what was so important about this episode. They cancelled at the last moment, unfortunately, in a way that was very surprising and... uh, very negative on our mental headspace. So I mention all of this because it was really hard to walk into this episode and try not to bring in all of these baggages because that's the thing. When you do watch something and you do have to talk about it, you have to try and be as fair as one can, but we're all human. We all walk in and go, "Ugh, I've just finished an eight-hour shift, had dinner, I'm tired, do I really want to sit down and record an episode about a TV show? Or, we were going to have some guests on and they cancelled the last minute and it really has upset me about it. Do I want to watch an episode and not give it the full do that it deserves? So, I had a really hard time because we were going to have someone on 
who is going to be a positive influence on this discussion, and they said, we don't want to talk to you, which is unfortunate. So it was hard to walk in and be fair to this episode. So we've delayed this several days. And I'm glad that we did, because I know for a fact within my soul that if we watched it on the usual day we were going to record, I would have come in saying, I hate this episode. This episode sucks. It's manipulative. It's boring. All of this. What I did walk away from with this episode having a moment of breathing room from the baggage of life, and I was walking in with a good mood for this. I was really excited. It's fine. It's not great. It's not terrible. It is exactly as how I remembered it. It's just fine. Does it impact the greater series-long run of things? No. Did it offend me? No. Did it entertain me? No. That's the thing. It just this was, was an episode of television that aired. And it I don't hate was. it. Yeah, and I, and it was. And I don't hate it, don't love it. It is just another entry in season three where I look at it and go, yeah, a 6.3, 6.4. Yeah, that's a rating that it deserves. It is acceptable, but not exceptional. Yeah, like the reason that I used kind of the shit on the table analogy is because this episode just it lays everything out yeah it it doesn't make any secrets about the beats that are going to be in this episode yeah if you are familiar with the structure of television and the way that people tell stories as soon as you get to those opening credits, you know, mm. you know, if you stop to think about it, which not everybody does, mm. and we do that because we are approaching it with a very critical lens. We are doing because it. Because it is our rewatch, yes. and it is for the purpose of discussing it, and we value having a critical and reflective discussion about what we watch. Yeah. And this episode, once you get to that first part, you're like, okay, I'm thinking about this critically. It's going to be this beat, this beat, and this beat. And it does exactly those things. It doesn't make any pretense that it's going to be anything else or anything better. And that is something that I appreciate about season three. It doesn't make it better. Mm -mm. It doesn't make it higher quality television but it makes it more enjoyable for me to watch Mm. than other seasons have been because I don't feel like it's pretending to be something that it's not anymore I don't feel like it's fighting to find its identity or to stick with its identity it's embraced its mediocrity it is Star Trek Discovery, and we talked about, and we continue to talk about, the way that things, TV shows, especially Star Trek shows, take a couple of seasons to find their feet. And I think Star Trek Discovery is no exception. It's just that it standing on its own two feet is Mm. not a show that we enjoy. 
I think it's also more more so for myself is it sidestepped so many interesting avenues for some reason instead along the way it's like oh it's finding its feet and while it's doing that it is dancing away from all the possibilities and all the good things that i was interested in and that it was promising to me and that is why i don't like season three because i'm at this stage where i go Remember when we were going to do this, 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 and this? And now I'm sitting here in season three, and I'm watching an episode that is saying, Hey, remember the two-parter from season five of TNG from over 25 years ago? And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, What does this have to do with anything other than I, as a Star Trek fan, remember that storyline? I'm not sure if I've said this before. But this is a difference that comes up with us as people, mm. especially like we we are in a long term relationship and we've been mm. together a long time and we've been through a lot together. Yeah, and one of the big differences in how we respond to things is that. I don't want to get hope dangled in my face. So I enjoy the process of watching Discovery more when I know that there's no hope that it it could get better. Yeah. You want the hope. You want to explore the possibilities. You continue to want to be hopeful. Uh, What I like Whereas once I've been made cynical... Mm. I don't want to have the idea of hope led by more disappointment because that just crumbles me. And I think that's a very nice and eloquent way of saying that when you've been burned enough, you stop fooling yourself that you're going to get burned again and I'm more willing to get burned again. I stopped touching the stove. Especially for this franchise, which I have a larger investment in than you do. Tell them that you know me. Tell them I can be trusted. My major disconnect for this episode has always been and will continue to be the reference itself. Unification 3. This is a diehard reference to a TNG double-parter from Season 5. My disconnect comes from what does this have to do with Star Trek Discovery in any way? I have often asked, when it comes to these diehard little references, who's this show for? Is this for people who don't have any clue of what Star Trek is? or And this is a new entry for them, this is a gateway into it? Or is this for people who know? And it always rides many different wavelengths of that. Because if it's for people who know, we'd like to have a little bit more internal consistency with what we do know. And then if it isn't for people who know, then what does this offer up to them? This episode. This is a continuation of an idea that was conceived from a previous show over two decades ago. I have a friend who is a diehard Star Trek Discovery fan. Not a big fan of season three, oddly enough. 
He did not watch Star Trek Picard because he has not seen Star Trek The Next Generation. So he felt like he could not watch that show because he would not get it. He has not watched uh, Star Trek Lower Decks because he couldn't get all the references. He thought it was funny, but he, he was lost at the references. Star Trek Discovery was his safe harbor. Even though there were some things that he didn't get, the episodes somewhat explained them well enough. And he had to ask me, what is this episode referring to? What is unification in relation to? Who are the Romulans? That's a great fucking question. Those are great questions. Because the Romulans have meant and have not meant anything in Star Trek Discovery. And that's a major fault of this episode is it is relying on something that has never mattered or existed in this show's DNA or identity. You can go on and say, oh, but it's a part of the larger canvas of Star Trek, so it all matters. It's all part of the canon. But that isn't fair to say all the time. As some people will say, when we critique things, oh, canon, 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 they can say, oh, well, canon doesn't apply here for some reason or another. I'll relate it like this. In Star Trek TNG, which this is from, this idea mattered because it was several seasons in and the Romulans were a very well-established race in that show. Yes, they were from the original series, but they were not that well-developed as they were in TNG in the original series. TNG made them the central bad guys, and so to introduce the idea five seasons in that one of the central villainous figures could come to the side of peace meant something. It would have actually meant something in this show if it related to the Klingons in any way, or if there was something with the Klingons, because the Klingons are the race that we have a connection to. The Vulcans we have a connection to as well, but the Romulans in Discovery mean nothing. And that is where my disconnect is. I actually don't mind the idea of a modern show, especially one that's set in the future, picking up that baton and running with it and seeing what happens when they are unified again. I like it. I think it's a great idea. It would have worked if the Romulans had any existence within Discovery before, but they haven't. And people like my friend who rely on just Discovery alone because the other stuff is alienating because they haven't seen the material from decades ago, this is a slap in the face. This is one that is a disconnect, and I can see why it has a, a low low rating. I read some of the reviews, and there are some that are similar to that opinion of, I watch Discovery, I don't know what this is, and I don't know why it's important. Oh, but Star Trek Picard and Star Trek Discovery are airing at the same time. Blah, 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 there's carryover. You see, they brought the absolute candor over here. Yeah, and I get that. But there are people who don't watch Star Trek Picard because they don't think that they can because it relates to a show that they haven't watched or have no connection to. It's not an entry point show. That's the nature, that's the unfortunate nature that this has all come to for some people. Oh, but that's some people. In the old 90s thing, if you watch an episode of Voyager, 
they would still explain to you who the Klingons are, who the Bajorans are, who the Cardassians are, who are the Talaxians, all of those, in a way those in case you have... episodic shows, right? Deep Space Nine would do the exact same thing. But that's oh, only semi-serialized. No. It's not as serialized as Each Discovery. one of those shows would still establish all of the key players in a way that was understandable for people who may not have seen those episodes of TNG. The Cardassians were introduced in an episode of TNG. Guess what? In Deep Space Nine, they're a major player, but they don't rely on you having seen that singular episode of TNG to understand the whole series. Can we talk about the fact that this week's episode of Discovery just dropped part three of a trilogy almost 30 years in the making? I mean, talk about building suspense. An interesting thing to think about with this episode is... One of the reasons it didn't stick in my brain as thoroughly is because the only details I do remember from it, even now when I'm sitting here talking to you, is the references. Oh, oh they reference that thing. Well, I remember oh, non-reference re- things. I remember references to previous shows and previous seasons of this show. Like, I remember Michael's mum comes in, and I remember the concept of N- Niva, which is obviously... Following through on the concepts brought through from TNG. I remember all the Spock references. I remember more so the details of the references than the actual details of the plot lines itself. There are two things that I remembered about this episode. Uh, Do you want the less petty thing or the more petty thing first? Less petty than petty. Okay. So the less petty thing is that I remember the frustration that I felt Mm. when Michael's mum says, uh, there's something that I've been wanting to be able to tell you for a very long time. Uh, You know where to find me. You know where to find me. (sighs) Because... Well, you don't like Michael's mum as a character? Yes, that is part of it. I remember groaning so hard because it's that, dialogue that you're like oh somebody was happy with themselves when they got that one down yeah they were like oh i hit the the thematic messaging of that character's entire ooh, being there goes your heartstrings i just pulled them and oh maybe one will snap and you'll shed a tear so of you manipulative again you felt the manipulation of the writing coming through instead yes. of the authenticity but that would also come some, down to the fact that the character saying it, we don't have any attachment to as a character. I remember that. Right. And the more petty thing? The more petty thing was I did not like the sound design around Grudge's purr. But is that something you remembered about this episode? Yes. Outside of just watching it today? No, I remember. Oh, this is the episode where they randomly add Grudge purring and it's only in the it's in the shot where it's over near her but not like they're standing pretty close to her but you don't get the purring in the background so Mm. it's only when she's in shot that she's purring to let you know that the cat's there yeah because the visual isn't enough but it's a weird like it does not sound like the purr that that cat would make because she's such a big cat. It doesn't... You could say she's a fat cat. 
She's a queen. She's a queen. I would love to know still to this day how this is considered to be a favorite episode of the season to someone outside of the obvious. I remember that storyline from TNG. I want to talk about the plot. I like I actually want to get into like the scenes and the beats to beats. But just remembering them, I'm like, what is there to say outside of the obvious statements that we say all the time? Michael cries too often, overarching performances, hammering in the themes too obviously or too ham-fistedly. The plot that should be here is kind of withering in the background. The technical side is arrogant and annoying to the point of alienating me and distracting me. The music is overbearing or too telling. All of this stuff is here. And it's in every single scene and they make up every single scene to me. There's not a special little moment of competency or incompetency within these scenes or writing. It's all just the same stuff. Hence, it's like white noise to me. I just go outside of the wow factor of we're threading the needle of an episode from over 20 years ago in. Woo! What is there to say other than just it's it's discovery? I do want to bring up one other thing. A, a gripe. Which is... I fully admit that this is a pe- petty stupid thing and it's a direction slash editing thing Mm. which is one of the reasons why I brought up the director earlier is when Michael is discussing with her mum about the panel right and it cuts to the footage of each of the people on the transporter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it it just feels so odd to me because it feels like those should have been two separate scenes. Mm. It should have been like these are the introductions to the people when they arrive on the transporter. This is this person. They yeah, represent yeah, yeah. this, this, and this. And then the mum giving warnings about each of those people without the need to cut to their faces. Oh, it's just to remind you that 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 those are the characters she's referring to because yeah. we I'm won't not, remember. I'm not smart enough to remember or, or the audience might not know what a Romulan looks like because we haven't shown them. In Discovery, no, we haven't shown them. And, uh, yeah... You you have to. You have to spoon feed the audience because these and are completely foreign concepts really to this show. To this show. Really so of course they have to off. do that. It pissed me off the first time and it just made me vaguely disappointed on the rewatch. But just the fact that they don't they can't even tr- put enough trust in their audience to be able to figure out that's a Vulcan, that's a Romulan, that's a half Vulcan, half Romulan. Yeah. Because in the end, they telegraph so fucking hard 
what each of their opinions are and why they're that way. Yeah, they basically without they that basically scene yeah, they do and it without the that coverage shots and cutaways of them. Either go with so one just... or the other. So go with the one where you're giving us the coverage shots, blah blah blah, letting you know this guy's a Vulcan, this guy's roaming this woman's half half. But in even in their dialogue, you have him being like. I'm a mission. I'm emotional. I'm a Romulan, and we deserve rights. And then the Vulcan guy being like, "I'm a Vulcan," and cold logical. And then them being like, "And you, you're always in the middle because you're both." And it's like, okay, guys, do, we get it. Do we one. got it. You, you know what would have been better instead of directly pointing it out like you do with many things and say that's what's happening. Let it happen, and us, the audience, determines it ourselves. That's the thing. Show us. Don't tell us. There's so many moments where I wrote in my notes, themes are happening because they are directly saying themes are happening. They're just saying, this is the theme. This is the message. This is the allegory. This is the point. Out loud verbatim, instead of just letting the themes and the discussions play out in a way that is less obvious and less overt. Discovery is wearing me down. Of course it is. Because one and one of those things is kind of a side effect of them telling and not showing. Mm. I'm so bored mm. when we watch these episodes. I told you, season three's boring. I felt this the first time around. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a part of it is because I don't have to watch it. It tells me everything. No, you don't have to watch it. You could listen to the show and you will not miss a thing. This could just be a a text-to-speech program for the script. You don't don't need to watch it. It requires no investment and participation from me. And I find that really boring and that's not what I want from this show. Even... For other people, that may be exactly what they want. For our friend that is a fan of it, we know that that's part of what he likes about it. Yeah. It's one of his switch-off shows when he gets home from work and just plops on a discovery and knows that it'll be flushy, things will be happening, and it's vaguely sci-fi. And that gives him what he wants from the show. But even season three was wearing him down with that. And we are super happy that he gets that from the show. Or at least did. Or at least did. We are happy that he's happy. We are not trying to yuck anybody's yum who does like it. But we are dissecting our opinions and why we have these opinions and feelings towards the show. Yeah. I agree 100% that it it has gone to this point in which... Yeah, you got the flashy visuals of spinning cameras and lens flares, but oh, really, you could the just... the torches glitched in, but, well, the yeah. programmable matter created no, the, the torches. those were holograms for some what? reason. And there was, this, there was this moment, too, where you go, well, what about the acting? You've got to watch the acting. You're right, because the acting is very important, and I found the acting to be wildly all over the board with this episode. I thought the Tribunal... Those three were really well done. I enjoyed all three of them. I, agree. I enjoyed the 
Vulcan or Navarre President Lady. I thought she was good, although a little too emotional for my liking. But again, you can negate, you can excuse that momentarily by saying, well, the Vulcan culture has evolved so much. But then you meet the other Vulcan guy, but then you go, well, he's a Vulcan purist, so he's maintained the old Vulcan way, which we know. Okay, I'll let that slide. But there was this one scene where, although I'm not a big fan of the portrayal of Michael as a character, I found her inconsistent in one scene in particular, or badly directed in one scene in particular. For the rest of the episode, she was acting the way that she usually does, and I was like, okay, this is just what she does. She's she's doing the thing. It was a debriefing scene with the Admiral early on, and she finds out about Spock and all of that, and I think it was just the direction... But it was very much like, here's how I describe it. There was no director to tell the actor to pull back. Because she's not even talking that much during the scene, but she's got her mouth wide open, like full-on jaw drop, tears welling up, and she's cocking her head in very obvious ways that an actor will do if no one is there to tell them to pull back and say, hey, hey, Restrain yourself a little. You've gone a little bit too far over the line. Reel it back. That's the role of a director sometimes is to let you know, hey, you've gone over. There's this great story about how how Ricardo Montalban, a fantastic actor, when he started doing Wrath of Khan, he walked in and he was too far. He was too much energy. He showed his top. And the director told him, you've got to pull it back. Even a seasoned pro who's been in the game for decades... Like like Ricardo Montalban, even he needed a director to tell him to how to play this iconic role he had already mastered a few decades earlier, a decade or two earlier. So this great scene- actors still need great directors. Yeah. That's why both of those roles still exist in television and film, because they yeah. both serve a purpose. You need someone to stop the actor's flights of fancy, whether the actor is being egotistical, like someone like Shatner, or someone who is just prone to certain methods of acting. The actress of Michael has said many times that she is a very emotional person, and she is prone to being emotionally out- to emotional outbursts. And there are many times within the series, there has been a director who said, no, no, dial it back a bit, and I, dial it back a bit, and I know many diehard haters of the show will find that statement uh, crazy to believe, but it is true in some moments. I think they don't do it enough, but there was this one scene in this episode with the Admiral where I felt like no one told her to pull it back, and I found it extremely distracting. It really is. I could cry, and that gets old. <laughs> I Doesn't cry, get old for me. I cry so much. Yeah. And people like, if you don't stop crying, you know? I said, you know, Laurence Olivier once said that an actor should never show an audience his top. Mm-hmm. Because once you show your top, they know you've got no place else to go. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me and goes, oh, you're going to direct me. (laughs) He said, that's really good. I need direction. I don't know what I'm doing up there. I got to ask, when you first saw it and now you know how the show goes, what was your feelings and how are they now about Saru's choice to make Tilly the acting first officer. The internet st- blew up over this. Then and, and and people were in 
divisive camps. I love it. I hate it. If you don't love it, then I hate you. And if you don't hate it, I hate you. Which, where, what was your feelings on this? I thought that it was really stupid the first time. That is what I remember now. Mm. I just remember being like, well, of course they picked fucking Tilly. Because they're not going to pick these other characters and they're not going to dare pick somebody that we don't know. Yeah, could you imagine if if they followed the chain of command and pick, like, I don't know, the chief engineer or the chief medical officer? Yeah, you know, we one deliberately of the, one don't of the, know. One of the chief people that is always not in the show because I, I still don't know what that choice is. I, I, don't, actually, I don't get that. If someone could ever explain to me why that is a choice, please, I would oh, love to hear it. We know it. why it's a choice. Uh, because it's always a choice. It's a choice to go against what's expected. And right. go again. the characters just fill the roles that's expected. So, yeah, what does they feel, the, that matter? They, f- they feel the archetype without being the stereotype. Without being the rank. Yep. I didn't care. When she. I know, it's a shock. When she got promoted. I was just like, well, it doesn't first... matter. It doesn't matter. No, no, no. And I... it's not going to last. And they tell you that it's well, not going to last. Well, I didn't think that. I didn't think that. I, I still think that there could be a possibility in season four that she's the first officer. I don't. I didn't think. Here's, here's where, where, why I didn't care. It happened. And I saw it. And I was just so numb to this season that I said, oh, yeah, of course. Not in an excited way, not in a thrilled way, not in a way where it's like, oh, all the building blocks have been here, which this season has been putting those blocks there when we've rewatched I've it. Been but ex- it is- I was expecting that from episode two on the first watch. Yeah. As soon as he took Tilly. Of course. I was just like, oh, she's filling the number one spot. I bet she's going to get a random promotion because <laughs> you know what? That would be really stupid it, to have an ensign as a first officer. And it proves to be. And it proves to and be. It, and it proves that's, to be detrimental and it That's feels... so funny too. Like like I feel so bad for, for people who, who um have a major investment in Tilly's character and were super thrilled to see her gain this position. And the discourse being like, no, no, she's going to prove that she's worth that role and she's going to succeed. And the show then says, no, she's not suitable for that role. She's too young and inexperienced and she fails. And I feel so sorry for the people who were invested in that in that storyline, having gone somewhere that was more um, rewarding rather than punishing um, for me, I like I said, I I just didn't care, and I and I was just like, okay, of course Tilly's gonna be the number one. Of course she is because who else is there? Stamets has no interest in doing it, and has expressly stated that he has barely any interest in being in the crew. Hugh is not going to get it because that would mean he would have to have a role in the show, yeah. which and surprisingly and he Bryce didn't. Oh, aren't, those aren't characters. Aren't characters. Detmer's too. Busy crazy having a PDP. Um, Owo isn't a character. Um, Tignataro is not interested in being in this show no. at all. Um, she so, does it out of obligation for her friendship for Alex Kurtzman. Um, I should rather be doing anything else than being in episodes of this. I didn't know that on 
the first watch, so I didn't even think about Tig because I'd forgotten yeah. about Tig. Giorgio um, obviously can't get it because she's not a real officer and she's evil. Um, Michael just got demoted and, um, well, that's it, really. We're out of cast members. We're out of cast members, um, so we've got to give it to Tilly. And it's like, oh, okay, that's that's that done. I mean, I thought it would have been more fascinating. But again, this is the classic what could have been scenario. of Wouldn't it have been more fascinating if the Admiral put someone in from the future to be his first officer? And that could cause some interesting drama and conflict and flavor but then you go but isn't adira supposed to be serving that role wait a moment where was adira in this episode oh that's right nowhere to be be with you probably being being not here um the logic tribunal was an interesting concept and it just boiled down to um michael uh, emotionally opening herself up and telling her emotional truth while her mother grills her for not being emotionally true to herself because I got so fucking confused with this. Her mother kept stating things like she knew these to be true facts, yet her mother has not been in her life for most of it and had only just talked to her like 20 minutes ago. Like, I don't think I could be as fucking sure of myself as I was, as she was, if I just talked to a relative I haven't encountered for most of their life and talked to them for like 20 minutes, I don't think I could be as self-assured but as Michael forget. Burnham's mother. But, 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 but hey, she's you. a part of a Romulan warrior nun sect who knows what the truth is. How long has she been a part of this sect for? A year or two? I don't know. We've got no fucking clue, but you forget... That she watched Michael grow up. That doesn't mean she knows her. That doesn't mean she knows her, though. Engagement is a part of knowing, though. Yes, yes, but she watched Michael grow up. She does have insights about her daughter. Yes, but but she treats it like, I am the person who's advocating, but I know her well enough to know that this isn't true. But she doesn't know her. She does, and she's known, and she's been watching other variants of this daughter. But she doesn't know her. That's not knowing her. Yeah, Saru knows her. Fucking Tilly knows this woman, who's her mother, who's actively trying not to be her mother her whole life at this point. Because once one now given the opportunity to be her mother, to actually care for her. She chooses not to, which was the exact opposite I cannot of be bound which to is you. the exact opposite of her belief system last time we saw her, where she was going to break the universe so that she could be at least with her daughter. But apparently, she's changed her mind because these Romulan warrior nuns are hecka cool, yo. I, I, I got lost with the logic tribunal because I thought it was going to be a logic tribunal, but in fact, it was a Michael. Tell us your emotions. And not only tell us, show them. And I'm like, uh, okay, there was this moment where I was watching it and Michael was being confronted about her actions at the Battle of the Binary Stars. And I'm thinking, what do these Romulans and Vulcans from 930 plus years in the future from that event care 
about that, honestly. Like, I was waiting for the Vulcan guy to be like, fascinating pieces of trivia, but none of this matters to the issue at hand. I was waiting for that, but it didn't happen. I thought the Logic Tribunal was a waste. In fact, I think all of this is a waste, this Nivar plot. How come this isn't a double-parter? Why is the Giorgio one a double-parter? Out of all the things that should be two parts, the idea of the Vulcans, which were a, a culture that we know in Discovery, teaming up and, and reforming their society and, and getting rid of their mantras and sayings and kind of like wilting away from the logical belief system we knew them to have. How come yeah. that isn't a double parter? Why is that a one and done episode in this season? Why is the one where Giorgio has just some fun times in the mirror universe, the double part of that mystifies me. Part three of a trilogy, almost 30 years in the making. I mean, talk about building suspense. Where was he? He was nowhere to be seen. I'm surprised he we... wasn't there for the Tilly scenes. Yeah, we didn't get his great smile and nod. Again, where was Adira and Tilly? Uh, I mean, where was again? Again, where was you? Where was Adira? Where was Gray? I thought these were like going to be important characters to the season. They've been so in and out of the plot that we have yet to even start the plot where Gray is just not in the show for some reason, and then turns up at the end. Remember that subplot? Oh, I do. I do. I don't. I don't get you. I want to. It seems like he has a character now, but they still don't integrate him in the show, which is really bizarre because we know at the end of this season, he and Adira and Paul are like this found family thing. Yeah. Yet when there are episodes, none of, like, all three of them aren't in the same episode. And if they are, they're not all together in no. an episode. Like, that's the thing. Like, Hugh was separated off, or Hugh's just not involved, or Adira doesn't even show up, or Hugh, Paul Hugh is too busy with Tilly. With- Hugh will be with Paul and Adira will be with Paul and they both have connections to Paul. So that makes them a family unit, like a triangle. I mean... But it's uh, actually more like a V because only Paul is really joined to both of them for most of the series. And then they do kind of And most of, of it's make, off screen. They do kind of make a... A link between then why why isn't why, by that logic then why isn't Tilly their found daughter? She's a young person who spends as much time, if not more, who also is searching for family. Tilly already has a mum. So no, she, she doesn't. doesn't. She's never had a connection with her mum. Her mum is but dead, she does, and she's always been searching for family. She does talk about her mum. Adira doesn't talk about her dead family. So. Adira doesn't talk. Really, there's nothing much to say except for you kind of like the bomb, huh? Remember that great line? Yeah, I do. Look, this episode is just dull. Like, we didn't really talk about much of what actually went on because nothing much really went on. They found out that the burn didn't happen all at once and that there must be an origin point that happened in and the that like origin in one scene. point is not Navarre. They no. do know that from the data that they have, but 
it wasn't interesting on the first viewing because I never trusted them to give me a satisfying ending. I would have found it more interesting if the Navarre was but the also, cause of the burn, yeah, honestly. It would be. Um, but also, like, she's managed to gather these three tiny points of data. Yeah. But she was already convinced that there was a point of origin. For what reason? Because she had the two black boxes, and they suggested that. They don't really show that because it's That happened in a magical year away. Tilly does the math. Tilly's the one that gives us the numbers of being like, this is the fractions of a second that are different between when these ships exploded. You know what's a... You know what's a real trouble with an episode like this? It wants you to remember things from a previous season. And then I do, and then I think, wait, isn't it kind of silly that the whole galaxy, the whole Federation, the Romulan Star Empire, and all these major players didn't figure out an alternative method of faster, like, of, of warp travel without dilithium? Because that's kind of silly, because I remember there were several episodes of TNG and DS9 and so on and so forth in which there were races that did figure it out. There were races on the verge of figuring it out and including the Federation. There was like the Soliton Wave. I don't know necessarily, but I'm sure the Romulans used some kind of black hole antimatter thing. I don't know if that was necessarily a replacement for dilithium. I don't know. But there was there was definitely several races, key players, and several people who were on the verge of figuring it out in TNG's time. And that's the thing. If you go, well, you're not supposed to think about it like that, then then, then why are you referencing TNG in such a heavy way? Because that's what I think about. When you evoke something like this, I can't help about help but think, well, back then, too, they were like... You, I f- just meant to go, that's a thing I know, and they not never, think about it. They never figured out in 900 and plus years... Of how to figure out how to travel differently. Uh, it's weird. Only Stamets. Only Stamets can do it. And that's that's it. Only Stamets can. You did it. Warp without warp drive. For a while there was really something to see. Well, I hope you're here to see it next time we try, Mr. LaForge. So do I, Doctor. <sighs> that's a thing. Rating an episode like this is always difficult because it's obviously not good but it's also not terrible. And with our yum being bad and yum yum being good, you know, it's very black or white. And this is obviously by design to be you stubborn. You designed it to have And no it, of course, yums. has to be a yum. In a lot of ways, it leans towards a yum yum. Mm. Because it didn't make me outraged. I could follow the plot. The camera spinning didn't make me feel sick. The characters were generally true to who they've been set up to be. And the ridiculous moments were fairly Mm self-contained. But I can't stomach the thought of giving it a yum-yum. And a part of that is falling to the low expectations of others. Mm. 
So I'm like, well, I'm not going to get credit if I do give it a yum yum for the things that I actually thought were good about it and tried to say positively. Yeah. So it is just a yum. Rachel, I am thrilled to know what the next episode is. From my recollection, this is actually the worst rated episode of Star Trek Discovery, if I'm not mistaken. To the to a surprising degree, last time I checked, I was surprised by how far down the rungs this is of a rating. Um, especially for a modern prestige television show, and especially for one that, usually when you get ratings this low, it's usually like when the last seasons of a beloved show have shit the bed, and then they just, uh, all the audiences realize, oh my god, I have wasted years of my life investing in this, like with Game of Thrones, and they like bomb the ratings low, and you get like a four for the last episode of Game of Thrones because people realized that they didn't follow through in a way that was satisfying enough to justify their viewing of it as a show that they cared about for years and years and years. This is one of those ratings for a prestigious television show, but this is like halfway through the best season of Star Trek Discovery. Which episode am I rambling on about? Uh, so it comes in at a 5.6. That's really low. Mm-hmm. That's surprisingly low. Uh, the episode is called The Sanctuary. Mm. The USS Discovery crew travels to Book's home planet to rescue it from Osira, the formidable leader of the Emerald Chain. Fuck, I forgot about S- Osira being a threat, but we had to be worried about <laughs> Stast Stamets. There's <laughs> yeah. more. God, no, there isn't. I remember this episode. There isn't more. Go on. That wasn't even a full stop. That was a semicolon, Ryan. Oh, is one of them going to be, and Detmer's PTSD is cured by flying real good. I no. remember that plot. That's a plot. Mm, no. Stamets and Adira continue their search for valuable information on the origin of the burn. And this, I remember it's like she forgot to click start. Well, this is the one where they become they. Um, wait a moment. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Real, real, real talk. Real question. I know that that's a thing that that episode's description just stated. But is that a role that they're trying to do? I didn't know that was something they were trying to do. I thought that was something Tilly and Michael and Saru were trying to do. I know, I know it's like of importance. Everybody's on hand. I didn't know that that was a... Everybody's expertise. You have training in high-level quantum physics, don't you? You know, a final thing to wrap out on before before we get to our plug zone. I always find it very funny and amusing in an episode like this that Michael is a xenoanthropologist. I just, I don't know, I have a good giggle about it because it never comes into play, and it never comes into play that this is a culture she used to be a part of, and now it's integrated with a culture she has no understanding of, and... She grew up on Vulcan. She grew but up. She's on... truly human. Oh yeah. Her yeah. mum explains it no, no, all. No, no, no. I know, but but but, I know, I find it so funny that she's a xenoanthropologist in uh, the future and has no understanding of all the cultures. Like as a xenoanthropologist, that would be like really hard to now live in a live in in, in a world in which you have you basically 
your field of expertise is outdated and you don't know anything. But maybe that got covered in that uh, three weeks of training that they had off screen and it will never come up as an issue that she'll face. Even though in this episode, it felt like it was going to be a big issue that she doesn't know anything about Romulan culture and how her lack of Romulan culture knowledge would affect... But Ryan, where can the people find us on the social media and the internet? Well... They can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit. Would uh, that happen to be at Yum Yum Pod? Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. Hit us up on those if you want some great, genuine interactions. You can also email us at yumyumpod at gmail.com to let us know what you think and feel about things we've discussed on the show and this and episode and, and to answer some of our questions as well. If they want even more content from us, where would they go? Well, we have our Patreon, Yum Yum Pod on Patreon. So all of this is in the description of this episode. On our Patreon, we talk about the movies, we talk about the best of, worst of rated episodes of other Star Trek, and we give our thoughts on other television series, things that interest us or not. Yes. Uh, so we and have a whole please. plethora of content on there. We would appreciate reviews on those podcatchers that do allow it. Oh, yes, definitely always appreciated. Rachel, I think it's time to end our absolute candor and get back into our lying, devious ways of of not telling the truth about how we really felt about Star Trek Discovery. That was absolute candor, but now let's go back into our evil secretive web of lies and deception because in fact we're not humans we're Romulans which has been really important in our discussions for the entire time yes we've never been mentioning that we've been Romulans throughout the whole show but it matters now because we said it does remember there's an Australian Romulan in Picard already. Rep- you should have known. That's called representation. 